Who is that Revival Winter Edition? Yes. Yes. Who snowboarded or skied at Revival Winter Edition? Yeah, a good portion of you guys. About 60 of you guys went snowboarding or skiing. And if you didn't snowboard or ski, you probably played in the World Cup with those deflated balls running around in the sun, sweating in your clothes, right? Well, while you were doing that, the people on the hill were sweating through their clothes as they had the beating sun down upon them as they were doing 360s and backflips on the slopes. Well, you know that feeling when you're in the snow and you're sweating through those many layers in your clothes, and it feels so good to get back to the cabin and to remove layer by layer of that clothing, take a nice hot shower, and then what do you do? You put on nice, fresh layers of clothes. You know that feeling I'm talking about, right? You know that feeling I'm describing? That nice feeling of getting rid of this old, dirty clothes and putting on the new, fresh, nice clothes? Well, in the Christian life, we have this same type of uh, process of putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. And in our text today, we have this same type of idea that we've been going back and forth on since verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, of what? Putting off the old and putting on the new, becoming more like Jesus Christ and becoming less like the sinful person we were before we we knew Christ. And that's the idea in Ephesians chapter 4. This is so important for us, guys, because as Christians, God wants us to have this type of righteous heart towards other people. And as we put off the old ways and put on the new ways, we're consistently transforming our heart to become more like Christ. And the more we are like Christ, the better we are towards others. Now, if you remember when Pastor John preached last week, it was all about this social interaction, right? Stop lying to each other. Stop stealing time from other people. Stop saying bad things about other people. Well, now Paul kind of shifts a little bit to the matters of the heart. He shifts to let's focus on getting rid of the bad things in our heart and putting on the good things that God wants us to put on in our heart. And here's the thing. If you apply this text to your lives, you're going to become more Christ-like, And you're going to honor God more with your life. So turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at two verses today. Ephesians 4. I want you all to look at this text with me together. Ephesians 4. We're going to look at two verses 31 through 32. Okay? You guys there? You're with me? All right. It says, let all bitterness. Okay? Stop. What is bitterness? Well, bitterness is like this this feeling in your heart that you cannot uh, uh, forgive somebody right? You, you refuse to reconcile with somebody. Someone did something wrong, and you have this bitter anger in your heart, and it just constantly lingers. Paul goes on to say, and wrath, okay, wrath. Well, wrath is like that, that welling up in your heart of frustration, and, it's, and it needs to get a lid on it, but it, it's going to overflow, and it's going to explode out of your heart. You know, I mean, think about it. The last time you got mad, and you felt this, Ugh! that's kind of the idea that Paul's trying to say, wrath, it's, Ugh! All right? That's that feeling in your heart. And then he goes on to say anger. Now, we're talking about sinful anger. We're not talking about the righteous anger that Paul talked about uh, up in verse 26. We're talking about sinful anger. And this is a continual angry heart, right? Someone who's constantly angry. And it doesn't mean that you're just blowing up on everybody, but you could have this constant anger in your heart. That's a continual anger. That's what Paul's getting at here. And then he goes on to say, and clamor, which is yelling, shouting, And slander. This is falsely saying something, falsely uh, abusive speech that you say about somebody, typically behind their back. 
right? So it's, it's not gossip. It goes past that. It goes into, you're not only talking bad about people, but slander saying, hey, if we're using our words to say something false about somebody, that's slander, okay? He says, put this away from you. It, almost like terminate this. Get rid of this out of your life. And then he says, along with all malice. It's funny how he says it. He's saying, hey, and every other wicked intention in your heart, every other evil desire in your heart, put that to death too while you're at it. And then he goes on to say, okay, what are we going to put on? Right? Because that's this pattern all throughout Ephesians 4. Put off, put on. He says, okay, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Right? You know what kindness is. It's grace. It's mercy. That's being good to other people. And then tenderheartedness is compassion. It's caring about other people. Forgiving one another, of course, that's releasing a debt, right? Someone does something wrong to you, forgiving is saying, okay, I'm past it. We're done. Put it aside. Let's move forward. As God in Christ forgave you. I mean, I love that, that this is all on the foundation of Jesus, that he forgave you. If you're sitting here as a Christian, that's who Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, put to death the old ways, put on the new ways. Put to death the old heart, put on the new heart. Because God in Christ forgave you. Now, I like this interesting pattern that we see in our text. If you notice, and this is kind of the outline of my points today, is you see this pattern of what we want to feel, right? What our sinful heart wants to feel and what God tells us we need to feel. And then it goes on, what we want to say, right? You see it, clamor, slander. But what, instead, what God wants us to say. And then in the last point, what we want to do, right, our sinful heart, the actions, the sinful actions we want to do, but what God wants us to do. That's what we should do in place of that. So these three vices that Paul points out in the, the first verse here, in verse 31, he points out bitterness, wrath, and anger. And these are the three vices of the heart that I want to focus on for this first point. And all three deal with anger, sinful anger. So that's point number one extinguish sinful anger with compassion. Extinguish sinful anger with compassion. Have you guys ever uh, made pasta before? Who's made pasta before? I think almost everyone in this room has made pasta before, or you've seen it being made. Well, let me tell you something. I hate making pasta. You're like, what? what? I love pasta. In fact, it's my, it's my son's favorite meal. I love pasta making, or I love pasta. I don't like making it, and here's why. Because what do you do? The first step, you got to put the noodles in the water, right? And then you got to boil it. This is the step I hate. You, what do you do? We blast it as, as high as we can on the heat because we want it to go as quick as possible, and then if you're like me, you turn away with your phone and say, okay, well, when that's done, it's done. What do you do when you come back? It's boiling over the pot every single time all over the cooktop. Every single time. Am I the only one? Am I the only one that, that fails at making pasta? I'm sure this has happened to you. It's boiled over, right? And how do, you, how do you stop the boiling over of the pasta? You take a lid, bam, and then it subsides. Or you just turn the heat down, if you're not an idiot like I am. Just take the lid, boom, and it subsides, right? So that's kind of like this anger in our heart when we allow this sinful anger to well up in our heart it can overflow onto the countertop. And what we need to do is take this lid of compassion, right, and silence that to, to make that subside. Because if we don't have compassion, that sinful anger is going to boil over. It's going to continuously boil over. 
And that's that first vice that Paul tells us to put away. It's bitterness. It's bitterness. It's this welling up in our heart, this we're holding on to anger in our heart. And God's saying, hey, you got to get rid of anger in your heart. You got to get rid of this bitterness towards other people. So how, how, how do you tell if you're a bitter person? What, do I, what, do I do, what am I doing? Well, if you're holding a grudge towards somebody, maybe there's someone in this room that you have anger, bitterness in your heart towards because of something they said about you. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling that you're holding a grudge against because they said something wrong about you or they hurt you in some way. That's a heart of a bitter person. Another heart of a bitter person is someone who's ungrateful of good things, right? Good gifts that God provides for us. You're ungrateful for that. It's like, oh, whatever, you look away, you look aside. You know, you got a car, you got a house, you got, you know, food on the table, and you, you don't care. That's a heart of someone who's bitter towards the good gifts of God and towards other people. Perhaps you're jealous over anything, like right on the flip side, you're jealous of when good things happen to other people. Right, that jealousy in your heart, that's bitterness towards other people. When good things come their way, and you're like, why is that not happening to me? That's bitterness in your heart. And that's not the heart of a new self. That's not a characteristic of the new heart that Paul is talking about. Maybe you care only about your own interests and not the interests of other people. Right? When you talk to people, what are the things that you typically talk about? Is it only what you are interested in or is it what other people are interested in? Do you care about other people? That's a heart of a bitter person. And Paul's saying, hey, put that to death and let's put on the new heart. Let's put on the good characteristics and that's compassion. Let's put compassion in its place. Let's take this lid and squash, right, the bitterness in our heart. Think about this, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 we see this type of compassion. There's a lot of ways that you can express compassion, but one specific way is found in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Right? Do nothing out of selfishness. But in humility, right? not in pride, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, right? it's fine to look to your interests, but also to the interests of other people. So what you got to be doing with compassion is caring more about other people than yourself, right? How can you be bitter towards someone if you're caring more about them than you care about you? You won't be. That bitterness will never boil over if you're putting other people's needs before yourself. Think about all the different ways that you can serve someone in this room because of some need they have, right? Think of any way that you can serve our church, how many needs need to be fulfilled, if you're putting other people's needs before yourself, those things will be fulfilled all the time. We'd be seeing that happen all the time in our ministry and in the church. And think about it. You can't be a jealous person. You can't be jealous of other people's good gifts if you're uh, caring more about them than yourself. It's not a possible thing. It's easy to praise other people when they receive good things if you're caring more about them than you're caring about yourself. The second vice that Paul talks about of the heart, he talks about wrath, right? Remember that welling up of anger in your heart, and it overflows. That's like that tipping point of the pasta. It's, it's finally well, welling up and getting to that point where it's going to boil over, right? That's wrath. 
in Psalm 37, 8, write that verse down. Psalm 37, 8, it says this. It says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath, right? Put it away. Walk the other way. Turn away from it. Completely forget it. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. There's nothing good about wrath. Now, I, you know, I just, you're probably asking the question, well, isn't God wrathful? Isn't God wrathful, God? Isn't it, isn't it a good thing? Well, you're not God, right? God is perfect. Are you perfect? God is sinless. Are you sinless? God is perfectly righteous. Are you perfectly righteous? No, 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 no. God has the authority to pour out his wrath upon sin because he's perfect and you're not, right? So there's a difference between God's wrath and our wrath. It's always holy and ours is always sinful, right? This, this wrath that boils over. How many of you are driving right now? Okay, like 30% of you guys. The leaders, I'm not even counting you, I guess, because you, you know, I don't have my license. Yeah, someone got their license revoked, I guess. So think about this. Like when you're driving, you're late to an event. Maybe you're late to church. Or you're late to some friends, you know, gathering or whatever. And you're on uh, Aliso Creek Road or maybe Alicia might be a better uh, uh, street because there's so many lights, right? Maybe you're coming from RSM all the way down to Aliso Viejo and you hit red light. Man, I'm going to be so late. And then you hit the next red light. I'm, tr- I'm like six minutes late already. Red light. You're like, okay, yes, this one's green. Boom, yellow, you have to stop, red light. And then you get to the next red light because, of course, that's how your day is going, and you have someone in front of you, turns green, and you're like, okay, here we go. And they're on their phone, and they're texting. And what do you do? Oh, this poor guy, he's probably just having a day. No, you wail on your horn, don't you? Every single one of us wails on the horn. That's this picture of wrath boiling in our heart and letting it, (laughs) I heard righteous anger, not righteous anger, not righteous anger, wrath boiling in your heart and you're letting it explode, right? And you're not putting the lid of compassion for other people on top of that wrath. It's impatience towards other people. That's how that can be expressed is having no patience for other people. Or perhaps for you, it's, it really is outbursts of anger from time to time because you have no self-control of that wrath that's in your heart, that temptation to be angry. Instead, we got to put on compassion. Specifically, this type of compassion that puts to death the wrath that's in your heart, it could look like showing grace or mercy towards other people, right? Loving other people, caring about other people. If people make mistakes... You show grace and you show mercy to them. You know, one awesome tool in dealing with wrath and in suppressing wrath and putting wrath to death, it's prayer. You know, of course, you're not going to hear a sermon that doesn't say, hey, read your Bible and pray. But I'm telling you, prayer, to, to, for God to change your heart towards other people, for God to make you a more patient person, for God to remove this wrath, this anger from your heart and give you a heart of compassion, give you a heart of grace towards other people. Prayer is a powerful tool in many ways, but specifically in dealing with that wrath in your heart. Ask God to help you. 
The third vice that Paul gets at is uh, anger, right? This continuous anger Paul talks about. And and we got to put to death that anger in our heart because, again, that's a matter of the old heart and not a matter of the new heart. Listen to this in Proverbs 29, verse 22. Write that down. I won't make you turn there. But Proverbs 29, 22, it says this. It says, a man of wrath stirs up strife, right? He stirs up constant drama. He stirs up constant uh, problems. And one given to anger causes much transgression. So if you're a person that has continual anger in your heart, even if you don't express it outwardly, but you're angry towards other people, it's going to cause so much other sin in your life. When you're harboring anger towards other people that you won't let go of, that's that continuous anger Instead, put on compassion. And specifically in the form of loving people more than you love yourself. Right? If you have continual anger towards another person and you put on love, that continual anger will die, fizzle out. Will fizzle out entirely if you love people more than you love yourself. Because a lot of times we're angry because someone harms us or someone hurts our feelings or for pride or, you know, you name it. And this, this anger towards other people, that's, that's when that wells up. But if you love other people more than yourself, you can turn from that. A great tool in fighting this one, in fighting continuous anger, it's uh, be a student of memorizing the word. Right? I mean, the Proverbs are full, guys, full of passages that you can memorize and bring to your mind when you have this temptation to be angry that will totally kill that thought, that will totally kill that feeling. You rem- I mean, there's power in God's word. And if you memorize God's word, you memorize passages about putting anger to death, you will. Anger, that continuous anger, is a matter of the old heart. And we got to put on loving other people. Compassion in the form of loving other people. We got to put that on in our, in our new heart. There are many reasons why you get sinfully angry. Of course, we want to kill that. We want to put that to death with that compassionate heart. And someone who had a, a compassionate heart, of course, is Jesus, right? We can look to Christ. We can see the, this perfect example of compassion for other people. I mean, he, he was righteously anger, angry from time to time. He never had that, that, that sinful anger that we're talking about here. I mean, you think about in his teaching and in his preaching, his healing of people, right? People came to him, and they were needy, and they, and they needed Christ. And what did he do? He showed compassion on them. And the Bible specifically says that. shows compassion on those people. Or when he's weeping over Jerusalem because there's many people who need to be saved. There's so many people that are lost, and Jesus is weeping over them because he has compassion over the people. He has compassion for their lives, for their souls. And Obviously, in his sacrifice on the cross. There's compassion in his sacrifice on the cross. He cared for people who were destined for hell. So he gave his life for those people. How can you imitate or model this type of compassion towards other people? I mean, the closer you are with Christ, the more you grow in your Christ-likeness, the better you're going to be at putting to death sinful anger and putting on compassion the better you're going to be at practicing these things. The more you're in his word, the more that you're in prayer, connecting with Christ, becoming more like Jesus Christ, the better you're going to be in this. But if you're away from this, if you're 
far away from this, the worse you're going to be at this and the worse Christian witness you're going to be. It's a matter of the old heart, not the new. Back in our passage, Paul brings up two more vices that he wants us to put to death. The two vices he brings up now are matters of speech, right? But remember, we talked about in the beginning, these are all matters of the heart. Well, these words, clamor and slander, they stem from a wicked heart, right? When you're yelling, you're shouting, you let anger come to its full expression towards other people, that starts in your heart. So we want to end that by putting on kindness. That's point number two. End harmful speech with kindness. End harmful speech with kindness. Do you guys remember saying this phrase when you were a kid? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anyone? Anyone say that? Yeah, one of you guys probably said that last week. Hopefully not. But what a load of garbage that is, right? I mean, of course words hurt you. I mean, there's probably something, as soon as I say this, something comes to mind where someone said something to you when you were a kid that still lingers in your mind today. There's probably something that's hurt you from when you were young to where you are today. So what, what, what garbage? Who can, who can honestly look at me and say, yep, I've never been hurt by words? Nobody, right? Nobody, nobody's hands up. And that's the idea with this. With this, with this text, ending harmful speech with, with kindness, of course our words hurt people. I mean, the Bible constantly teaches us about the importance of our words, right? I mean, we're seeing this pattern. We, we talked about it. I preached on it in James 3 just a few weeks ago. Pastor John brought it up in you know, verse 29, corrupting talk, putting that to death, right? There's this constant pattern of God saying, hey, words matter. Words matter. And Paul is teaching us that Wicked, sinful words, clamor, slander, these are ways of the old life, the old heart, and not ways of the new life. This is not a characteristic of the new life, the new heart. Check this out in Luke 6, 45. Luke 6, 45 says this. says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if you have a wicked heart, a sinful, rebellious heart, what's going to flow out of your mouth? Bad words, harmful speech, mean things. But if you have a righteous and good heart, what's going to flow out of that, out of your words, is good and righteous things. So we have to do this type of heart maintenance in this area of our life. We have to care about our words, and that's the first thing that Paul wants to uh, talk about when he's talking about, you know, harmful speech is clamor. It's yelling, right? And, you, you know, you can think of many ways where this can manifest itself in your life. I mean, <laughs> you got a sister or you got a brother, maybe you've yelled at them before, right? That's come out, feel the conviction setting in. Or perhaps, I hope not, but to your parents, Right? Maybe you responded to your parents in a way that had this type of yelling or this, this uh, shouting at them out of anger. Or how about this, when you're alone? You know, we don't think about that that often when you're alone, how you can, how this shouting, this clamor can kind of express itself, right? You guys that like video games, tell me you have not yelled at Madden or FIFA or something like that, Right? 
that anger that wells up into an outward expression. Or we talked about this, uh, someone cutting you off in traffic. Every single one of us. You idiot. I can't believe it. Whatever it is. Right? Paul's saying, hey, we got to put that to death. I know it seems silly, but those are things that God calls sin. Those are things that God calls a problem that we need to deal with in our heart. God sees what's going on in private, so we're not free from that even when we're alone. Instead, end harmful speech with kindness. With kindness. You know, a way that you can express kindness in your conversations with other people, when, even when you feel that welling up of anger in your heart and you, you want to say the thing, remember it's feeling about what you want to say and instead what you need to say, slow your words down. Pray for God to give you the right words, give you wisdom, to give you clarity. And then approach your sibling or your parent that you're mad at. Kindness can look like not saying anything at all, right? Not saying anything. If you, you know, you've heard that phrase, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. Put that sinful speech to death by just being slow to speak, as James 1 says. Being slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, the other vice that Paul gets into is slander, Right? slander, and that's abusive speech, false speech that you're saying about somebody behind their backs. That's, that's what slander is, and slander is, it's a characteristic of a wicked heart. Again, I mean, I know I keep repeating this, but this is the pattern all throughout our passage is putting to death the old ways, the sinful ways, and putting on, bringing to life the new righteous ways in your life. And the next one he talks about is slander. Maybe for some of you, that's saying mean or harmful things at somebody, right? I mean, you may not be a person that's, uh, you know, saying wicked, slanderous things, but if you're saying mean things about someone behind their back, that's kind of the, the, the scratching the surface of what slander can become. Perhaps some of you, it really is, you're, you're out here spreading lies about people. You're saying bad things, not only that, but you're lying about people behind their back. You're spreading that throughout the ministry. I mean, think about the damage that that can cause to the unity of our ministry. Think about this. You know, if those two don't hit you, this one might. It could be something that you intentionally are misrepresenting someone's opinion because you don't agree with it. You're intentionally exaggerating or misrepresenting something someone said because you want someone to agree with you. That can be slanderous, right? And if you profess Christ, this is something the Bible says we got to put to death. we got to kill this in our life, in our speech. Psalm 101.5, write that passage down. You don't have to turn there. It says, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. I mean, that's, that's huge. God, I mean, clearly he, he hates this. He does not like a slanderous person. And if he, if he hates this, this is, I mean, think about when his children are doing this, right? Because that's what the context of Ephesians 4. Clearly, he takes it seriously. Instead, we've got to put on kindness. And harm, harmful speech, put on kindness. Repent of those harmful words you said to people. Go to God in prayer. Ask God for forgiveness. Repent of those and put on the righteousness we're talking about. Start using words to edify people, right? Start using words that build people up. Start using words that point people to Christ. 
Get, get rid of all type of slanderous and clamor and angry speech from your life. Find ways to be encouraging, to encourage other people, encourage other people. Another thing is start being honest in everything you say, right? Be careful with what you say because if it's not honest, then you shouldn't say it, right? We should be honest and trustworthy in everything that we say. As Christians, you should be a lover of truth, right? You should be a person who loves the truth and wants to constantly speak the truth. You can also get accountability in this area. Your friends, your family, people that can hold you accountable, make sure that your speech is lined up with the Lord. Back in our text, Paul turns to this final vice. This final vice he talks about, uh, malice. All, all malice. All other wicked intentions in your heart. And that's what malice is, right? Malice is evil intentions. Evil intentions that you're harboring in your heart towards another person. And they can be eliminated with forgiveness. And that's point number three. Eliminate evil intentions with forgiveness. You become a person of forgiveness. You become a person that has a forgiving heart. All of that harboring anger, all of that harboring uh, of, of wanting someone to be hurt or someone to be uh, harmed can be put to death when you become a forgiving person. Be quick to forgive. How do you know that you have those evil intentions? You may ask. Well, if you're holding on to sin against somebody else, that's harboring evil intentions in your heart. Someone hurt you, someone harmed you, someone said something bad, you're holding on to that in your heart, you're desiring for them to get hurt or get affected by something or get affected by that, that's evil intentions in your heart. You're cheering on when someone gets hurt, evil intentions in your heart. I mean, you know, if, think about this silly example, but let's say you and your girlfriend or you and your boyfriend from True North break up and then they come right back into the ministry next day with someone else around their arm. That's, you know, that's going to test this sermon, the application of this sermon, right? But the idea is it's, you have this evil intent. You, don't you want something bad to happen to them? Right? Isn't that the gut reaction? It's like, oh, I hope they make themselves look stupid. I hope they say something dumb so I can just jump on that bandwagon. Right? Because you have this evil intention in your heart. You can see how this can express itself in so many ways of your heart. 1 Peter 3, 9 says it like this. I like the way it says it. The way that Peter says, um, you know, not having this evil intentions, not wanting to pay someone back for what they've done. And he says this, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, right? Don't give someone back what they, what they deserve. Vengeance is the Lord's. It's not yours to take upon yourself, right? If someone harms you or you're angry at somebody, right, apply the things we're talking about. Don't harbor that evil intention towards them. Don't have that harm in your heart or that desire for them to be harmed. God says no. Instead, Forgive, right? Let that debt that they owe you be forgiven, to be put aside, to be put to death, to be absolved. You can eliminate those evil intentions in your heart by becoming a forgiving person. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Let's look at Matthew 18. I want you all to look at this text. We have this great, I mean, probably the best example or teaching, rather, of forgiveness in all the Bible. 
Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, as it's uh, titled in your ESV Bible, parable of the unforgiving servant. We're going to look at verses 21 to 35. I want your eyes on this because we're going to read the whole thing, okay? Let's see what Peter says in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, right? Peter wants to put this limit on the forgiveness of a brother. And Jesus says, no, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, right? So is Jesus saying the 78th time? Yeah, I don't have to forgive him. You've sinned against me 78 times. I'm good. No, he's being hyperbolic, right? He's saying always, always forgive the brother who sins against you. Never harbor that evil intention in your heart. Forgive them. He goes on to say, verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Right? So he's setting up this teaching. He's setting up this parable, this illustration about forgiveness. And in verse 24, he says this, When he began to settle the debts, right? That's what he's talking about. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we read that and we kind of brush over that. Do you know how much 10,000 talents is? 200,000 years wages insurmountable debt. 200,000 years, you know, I had to look this up. I, I thought I was wrong. I, did, I went to my calculator because I'm terrible at math. I was like, are you serious? 20 times, I think, what, 100? Yeah, 10,000. 20 years salary is one denarius, okay? Or talent, rather, sorry. 200,000 years, insurmountable debt, okay? Goes on. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made, okay? So this is the restitution. This is the judgment. This is the the punishment that he required because of all this debt. He couldn't pay it. Okay, you're getting sold into slavery until you can pay off this debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay everything. I'll pay it all. Please have pity on me. He's begging this master. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Wow, that's a huge sacrifice. That's a huge payment. 200,000 years. I mean, this is insurmountable. This is an unreal debt. And the manager says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, that same servant, the servant that owed that massive debt, he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 10 denarii or 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Okay, 100 denarii, one denarius, it's a ten, a one day's wage. So you got 100 denarii, you got 100 days wages. 200,000 years, 100 days wage. I mean, that's like trillions of dollars and a nickel, right? That's what we're dealing with. And this servant chokes him out because of a nickel. I mean, do you guys even know what a nickel is? I mean, we don't even know what a nickel is anymore right? But this massive debt that's been forgiven this guy and this small debt, he goes and chokes him out and yells him, says, pay what you owe. This servant that has been forgiven for so much. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Seems very much like the response that the servant had to his master and the master forgave him. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Basically, you know, they told him what's up. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You asked me for forgiveness and I showed mercy and I forgave you. Verse 34, or sorry, verse 33, he said, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Right? That forgiveness has been revoked. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, that's, that's the punchline right there, right? I mean, that's where we feel it in our heart. Is there someone that you've neglected to forgive in your life? Is there someone right now that you need to forgive and you're harboring it in your heart? I mean, I want you guys to think about every sin you've committed against God. Think of those sinful words. Think of the pride. Think of the lust. Think of the arrogance. Think of the anger in your heart. All of those are sins committed against, sure, other people, maybe yourself, but ultimately to God. Think about all of those sins. And if you're a Christian here today, they've been forgiven, wiped clean. All of those sins forgiven and paid for. So how insignificant, these, this insignificant sin that a friend did to you in comparison of this massive 200,000-year debt, how easy it is to look at that and say, forgiven. I mean, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how big the sin is that someone has done to you. It does not mean you cannot forgive them. In light of what Christ has forgiven you, who do you need to forgive today? In verse 32, there's a key word there where he says, forgave, right? Back in our passage, not in this text, but in our passage, it says forgave, forgave, past tense, right? Past, present, future. All of your sins, if you're sitting here as a professing Christian, if you're sitting here in Christ, all of your sins have been paid for. Past, present, and future. I was reading this story, I was watching a video of this story, of this young woman who was maybe in her 20s, maybe in her 20s, and she was eulogizing her deceased father. And her father was a police officer and in the line of duty was killed. She was, again, she was young, in her 20s, you know, early. It was a premature death, gunned down, and she was eulogizing. She had a great speech, right, full of emotion, full of tears, full of sorrow, but she had this hopeful joy that she's going to see her father again in heaven. She was a Christian, right? Her, she knew her dad was in Christ. He, his sins have been forgiven. He's in heaven. And when it came to the point where she was speaking about the man who killed her father, you know what she said with tears in her eyes? She said this. She said, my prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. So what's keeping you from a heart of forgiveness? Perhaps what's stopping you in this room is that you actually haven't been forgiven of your sins. 
Perhaps Ephesians 4 doesn't even apply to you because you're still sitting here with a dead heart, with not a new heart. You need to understand, guys, that every single one of us needs God's forgiveness. God's created us. He deserves all of our uh, submission to him. I mean, think about this. We all deserve hell. You deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve it. You deserve it. But we don't get what we deserve. Why? Because we've been forgiven in Christ. There's no other forgiveness. Every single one of us will face punishment if we do not bow the knee to Jesus Christ. If we do not receive this free gift of forgiveness, if you're sitting here today still in your sins, refusing to repent, you can do that today, but if you don't, you will face Christ at the end of time not been forgiven. You will be the person that Christ throws into outer darkness. Look to Christ. See that he paid the price for you. If you repent and believe, he paid the price for your sins. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven right now, today. You can't perform heart surgery on a heart of stone. Right? You try to chip away this heart of stone, right? A dead heart. If you try to change it, to transform it yourself, you're just chipping away at stone. It's just going to be stone. You need the forgiveness of Christ. You need the grace of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ to transform your heart into a heart of flesh, a living, beating heart that can be molded and shaped to become more like Christ. If that's you, you need to bow the knee to Christ today. Now, for those of you that have done that, that have bowed the knee, let this act of forgiveness from Christ motivate you to apply this sermon right now, right? To put to death sinful anger, to put to death harmful speech, to put to death all this other evil intention in your heart and, and to put on forgiveness, to put on compassion, to put on kindness. Let's pray about that. God, I pray that this is something that's applied. And I know that it's something that we've been talking a lot about week in, week out, putting to death the old, putting on the new. But God, please help this not to be compartmentalized for any of us. God, that our motivation to turn from our sin is, of course, because you command it, but also because we've been forgiven. And Lord, that's an amazing gift. I ask, Lord, that you may convict hearts, compel people to change, compel people to repent and believe upon Christ. God, I pray that we can do this today, that we can be better Christians towards our friends because of what we're putting off in our relationships and putting on what you tell us in your word. Help us to be students of that. Help us to do that today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.